Welcome back, friends. And happy holidays. Now, this is not a real episode of My Favorite Flop. I mean, it's an episode, but it's a very special episode. It's really our Christmas present to you or holiday present. Yule present. People celebrate all sorts of things right now. All the things. The point is, is this is our present to you as a massive thank you for sticking around for 24 episodes. We adore all of you. On this episode, which is about to start, you're going to hear some of our greatest hits from season one, as well as some fun outtakes and bloopers. Yes. And we just want to say a massive thank you. And we sincerely, this has sincerely been one of the greatest joys of my life is doing this first season. Yes. And uh, the same here as well. And I think that, uh, yeah, season two is going to be even more floppalicious, kids. So enjoy our technically second Christmas episode because a Christmas story happened once upon a time. So sit back, relax. Turn up those car stereos and enjoy the show. Knock on. I don't know if there's any wood in this closet and I don't want to touch anything. So (laughs) I'm recording in a closet this week because my audio sucked last week. That's what you have to do, friends. Sacrifice by recording in a closet for the art. Um, and actually our family has a weird six degrees of separation, sort of, um, my husband who, for those who don't know, is, is also an actor and he was in New York doing a play called entertaining Mr. Sloan. And, uh, he's mutual friends with one of Ewan's friends. And so they brought Ewan to entertaining Mr. Sloan to see the show. And, uh, Ewan became obsessed with Steven. And so they became fast friends. And so they would go and hang out sometimes. Um, and he they they became fast friends at the time. They've lost touch now. But it, it is funny how how things kind of come around like that. And you end up with these six degrees of separation to people. So I'll give you a, not a, not I don't know these people, but uh so Ewan Morton, for those of you who don't know, is the father of Ian Armitage, who is young Sheldon on Young Sheldon. And um, he when I moved to New York in 2012, I was in Times Square one day and I saw this little tiny child like tap dancing in the middle of the street with his grandpa egging him on like busking for tips. Uh, years later. After Ian Armitage is on, you know, Big Little Lies. That's what that show is called, Big Little Lies. But then, yeah, on that. And now he's young Sheldon. And I'm looking through old photos from the year I moved to New York. And I'm like, that's him. That's him before anybody knew who he was. Tap dancing in Times Square looking for money. So I, I don't know. This is probably going to get cut from the episode. But uh, yeah, I don't know them. But I saw him. I took a picture. Um, so yeah. So. Well, and they stayed friends. Um, Matt came to visit you in, in New York and Stephen ended up at dinner with the two of them at one point. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I, so it's so funny because I, until recently, haven't been at like huge, and, and your husband is going to kill me for saying this, Probably. but like 
I haven't been the biggest fan of like British humor. Like I enjoy it. It's fine. Hasn't been my thing until very recently. I just went on a binge of Absolutely Fabulous recently and it was everything in my life. Ten years ago, I couldn't get into it at all. But Little Britain is one of my favorite things in the world. And him and I forget the actor who plays uh, the other guy on the show. They just crack me up so much, so much. Anyway, Little Britain. Which is so sad. I And I've been wanting to say this the entire time. But do you know who one of the biggest fans of this musical is? No, who? So did you watch the show business? I told you to, but I don't know if you did. I didn't. I didn't do my homework. Okay, so I know it's fine. You did all the other homework. I did watch it and I'd seen it before and I'm watching it. And, you know, they're in, throughout there's interviews with lots of people, but they interview fans of all four of the shows and they're interviewing taboo fans. And this one woman gets on and she's not even a woman. She's a young girl. She's like, I've seen it 25 times. It's amazing. Taboo is amazing. And do you know who that is? Nicole Byer. Nicole what? Byer from nailed it from before she's famous. Just she's like got to be like 18 or something. And she's like. I've seen it 25 times. Taboo's amazing. Go see Taboo. It's so good. I had to like go back and rewind Christina <laughs> and then like Google it. I'm like, was Nicole Byer in this documentary? That's and so it's totally funny. like fun fact before she was famous. She was interviewed for being the crazy Taboo fan. That's so, amazing. Maybe she could produce the revival. That's I'm fine gonna, too. I, you know, I feel like both of us are a couple people degrees of separation from her anyway. So probably let's be probably so that mm, there you go. That was like a weird thing that I just wanted to say. It's probably going to get cut. Um, Christina's dancing. You can't see it, but she's doing it. Uh, (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, and if you like this podcast, please. And ladies and gentlemen, and if you like this podcast, please tell everybody, you know, Uh, tell your grandma, tell your cousin, tell all your friends, post it, you know, on your discord feed, you know, on Reddit, just tell everybody to listen to it because Christina and I need friends. (laughs) COVID made us lonely. I'm Bobby Traversa. Um, I'm Bobby Traversa. Uh, Nope. We're keeping all of this in. (laughs) Flop. This has all led us to today with my favorite flop. A whole decade later, few pounds heavier. Hey, now. (laughs) Uh, And I am so... And we are so excited to geek out with you about Broadway history and tell you about our favorite flop musicals. Before we learn about our first flop, Bobby, what have you been listening to lately? Also, be like Dorothy. Stay at home. Wear a mask. Or we'll drop a house on your sister. (laughs) Are we giving the first clue... I mean, if you love, if everybody knows your name, like you're going to love this musical. Uh, If you don't like Nightmare Before Christmas, you're not a human being. (laughs) Uh, So probably time we're going to get negative on the show. (laughs) No. I mean, same with Home Alone. Home Alone was made in the what? Early 90s. Home Alone. Yeah, because Macaulay Culkin is older than I am. So. (laughs) Uh, but winning, winning, <laughs> no, but Home Alone, it would actually be interesting 
uh, to see a Home Alone musical. I don't know how you would do it because there's only really like five people in that show. But um, it would be hey, interesting. Man, you could come up with an entire chorus. <laughs> sure. Somehow. They could, they could play the tarantula. Uh, what did she I say? said that. You said, you said Jack Skeleton. It's Jack Skellington. Lies. Uh oh. <laughs> You're kidding me. I didn't know that. Wait, you didn't know it's Skellington? No. Oh. Yeah. That's Fine. that's the only that's the only one that like super caught me. I was like, oh man, that's the main character of Nightmare Before Christmas. We gotta <laughs> she say said that. Sally. Right? I think she said Sally. <laughs> I didn't say Sally at all. Um, okay, so Jack Skellington. Yes. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so this was just a sneak peek. Uh, kind of our out-of-town, Christina, what were you calling it? It was an out-of-town. Our out-of-town limited engagement Christmas special. It's our it's our downtown app, Downton. <laughs> oh my God, your husband's going to kill me. <laughs> Downton Abbey episode. Uh, uh, and like, I think it was a moderate success. It played at the Old Vic, which is a famous yeah. theater. Yes. Because that's a, that's a big one. It's a prestigious one. It is. I've and, seen a show there. I don't remember yeah. which one I saw, but I did see a show there. Oh, probably some Shakespeare? Probably. I've seen a few shows in London, so <laughs> I don't remember all the theaters. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening and you don't know what London is, it's a big city with lots of theaters in it. Lots of theaters. Of Currently with Andrew Lloyd Webber running around saying, open them, open all the theaters. Him and Cameron McIntosh, they're the <laughs> protesters now. They are, which is great. <laughs> um... Uh, well, and then, of course, in Seven Brides, the movie, there's that one actor who's not a dancer. The one oh, brother. Wait, did, did we talk about this? Or, I'm, I talked about this with somebody recently. Where they're like, Were we I talking play. about it with my husband? Oh, maybe. Yes. Yes. Husband. Hi, with Steven. <laughs> That's why he loves it, because there's always one brother who just like, and I'm going to sit or and I'm going to exit the scene. And I start the song and then I sit and I watch the dancers dance. And really, that's my husband in a show. <laughs> All right. Stephen can move. Stephen can move. He can uh, move. Wanting to move something else. Bets. Bette Midler? Bette Midler. Oh. Not Bets Malone. Not Bets Malone. Hi, Bets. I love I, you. I uh, hope you're doing well. Down yeah. San Diego. <laughs> so 42nd Street was my first professional job that I ever did. Um, and one of the girls in the ensemble with me ended up booking Louisa. While oh, we gosh. were doing 42nd Street. I remember that. I remember it was a big deal because they were looking for like They wanted a name. They wanted, wanted a big a deal. Um, but Allie ended up booking it. And like now she's gone on to play Little Mermaid all over the place. And oh my she goodness. did the, the McCoy Rigby tour with Little Mermaid. And she, I think she did some stuff in New York as well. She's fabulous and one of the most lovely people. My favorite oh my. moment with her in 42nd Street was we were coming on stage for Dames. And it is... Anyone who knows that show, it's like this slow promenade out. All these girls are in these really intense dresses. And she right. like stepped on my shoe and my my heel stayed in the wings. And so I walked on stage with one heel. On. Oh, no. Oh, we laughed about it for days. It was I mean, hilarious. Wait, you did that at Cabrillo Music Theater, right? Yes. With so many. The so many. only John Angstrom. Um, with, I mean, he is the like stager of 42nd Street all over the country and internationally too. Like he's involved. Yeah. Um, no, Carrillo's funny. My first professional show, I did Beauty and the Beast there. Uh, and 
my shoe broke during the mob song and uh i was hillary cavick on our village if they let him wander free and um for whatever reason i was supposed to drop to my knees and uh, like because i was like so upset about you know the beast and in rehearsals at one point i had been doing a knee slide and it was bad so anyway (laughs) i didn't quite fall into a knee slide that night but i definitely like tripped and like somersaulted but still ended up next to gaston and got the Got the line out. Every there are a lot of shoe problems. Oh man, we just need to have a, a special episode where the two of us talk about the crazy things that have gone wrong to us on stage. Because I've got the, a few. <laughs> that's like, well, you know, we already have another companion series right now called After the Bows, which we'll tell you about at the end of the show. But that might be next year's <laughs> companion series. It's like story it's like, time with Christina and Bobby, or our actual flops, like like real <laughs> physical flops. On stage doing shows. Anyone who has performed with me knows that I fall at least once a show. <laughs> I was a strange, of strange. Of course, you picked that song. Strange, strange, strange boy in in university. Uh, but in um, university, I don't. What about I was now? A, I still want to sing it. We're both gonna do Flora one day. Episode five is in two weeks, ladies and gentlemen, on March 2nd. Um, but to whep your appetite. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, should we tell them who we have? No. They have to come back and watch. Right. So you have to, you have to wait for the press release to come out. But uh, yeah. I think we got a pretty, pretty excited one. Oh, we're excited. I, I hope it's Liza. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Liza. That's Spoiler weird. alert. It's, totally it's not Liza. Liza. We're we're not that famous yet. Um, Wouldn't that be anyway. great if she did? Liza, just reach out and be like, Liza, yeah, reach I'll out. Do after we, the bows, we want you on the show. I mean, I just want to say, I have a hard time imagining Christina being at a loss for what to sing. So Harper <laughs> has some strong powers over you to make you <laughs> literally speechless. Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I grew up on Who's the Boss, and I, sure. I was obsessed with it because, as we know, Christina didn't watch anything that was popular at the time of her childhood. She watched everything that was popular 20 years prior to that. But <laughs> it wasn't 20 years. <laughs> Maybe Who's not the Who's the Boss, but Mama's House was. Okay, and so yes, was the Carol House. Burnett show, and yes. I love Lucy. Okay. <laughs> not the point. Um, Want to see you. I don't know that a show like Honeymoon in Vegas would actually. I mean, it also involves naked men, not honeymoon in Vegas, but. (laughs) (laughs) I bet she was great. Oh, Sir Santa, the funniest thing in the world, because they put that is my favorite song. They put her in a dress, Mrs. Santa Claus outfit. It was a little bit too small, so she constantly had to lift the dress back up again as she's oh, doing this. Oh, I'm no, sorry. No, it was a character choice. It was it was oh, 100% great. done on purpose because I saw it twice and she did twice. Uh, got it, got it. Choices, choices were made. But okay. yeah, he does these concerts. In fact, hell, I have a song that I use all the time that is a Howard Ashman song. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell the story. You have oh, to no. tell this story. Just but okay. keep it brief, though. Keep it, okay. keep it brief, I'll please. keep it brief. So um, I have a song that I love to sing called Song for a Hunter College Graduate. Lyrics were written by Howard Ashman. And Just it is so much for fun. A second. It's from the um, 
the the review diamonds that Hal Prince put together in the 80s off yes. Broadway, all about baseball and all the songs are written by different people. So continue. Yes. And the song the song is basically this girl who's like prim and proper and she's an English major at Hunter College. But when she watched the Baltimore Orioles play, she loses her absolute mind and starts cursing and yelling out of her room like out of the window that looks over the ballpark. Like it's a whole thing and it's hilarious and it's so much fun and the lyrics are smart. And I just, I have so much fun doing it. Right. And so I've done it for cabarets and stuff. And when I went to New York for the first time, Bobby (laughs) told me, (laughs) told me I needed to go to the open mic night at Birdland. (laughs) To cast party, Jim Caruso's. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Caruso's cast party. And he was like, go sign up and do that. So he's going to love it. But then I'm the jerk who's like, oh, I'm also not available to go with you. So yeah. So I brought my friend Peyton Krim, who is like classic bass, epic man, right? Man voice. So we go and I sign up and I get up there to do it. And I bring it to the music director. And he was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, it's song for a Hunter College graduate from Diamonds. Howard Ashman wrote it. And he was like, I knew Howard. This is not his song. And I was like, I, it, it is his song. It's in the it's, and wait, uh, and who, okay. And, and who was that musical director? This is a big, big deal. This guy. You say it. <laughs> it's Billy Stretch. So Liza Minnelli's ex husband. Billy but Stretch. There you go. Um. So, anyways, I but get that's up on and him. I, he should have known. What the, well, he, okay. it was an obscure. It's an okay. obscure song. Okay. okay. So I go and I sing it, and it lands completely flat. The audience <laughs> crickets. No one laughs. Jim Caruso gets on stage afterwards, and he was like, "Well." That was interesting. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. And like, I could not get off stage fast enough. And then Peyton goes up after me and Jim is like, tried to pick up the energy in the room. And he's like, so Peyton, what are you going to sing for us today? And he's like, uh, I'm going to sing Gaston. And goes out there, kills it. Everybody's right. in love. I like it's <laughs> Well, at least you guys did do Howard Ashley's back to back. I don't know if you've we ever did. connected that. So we did do that. But yes. Anyways. My point is, is that some people, Mary Sugarman loves when I do that song. Right. Jim Caruso, not so much. And it depends on where you are. But, you know, that was a moment where I was like, this was a terrible idea. And everyone now thinks I'm crap. Right. And I, I'm sure that after six failed years of trying to make this show happen. Right. You have to have that feeling. I, I wouldn't blame him for having that feeling. Analyzation is a word. Our producer just told us so. Wow. So I was pull, <laughs> I was pulling that out of my hat like Yankee Doodles. So let's <laughs> call that macaroni. And it's a real one. And uh, this is even more of a reason to press the subscribe button and give us a five-star review. Five-star review. Which is how everybody reacts about this show. Now, I have an interesting history with A Little Night Music. Um, The revival with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Angela Lansbury was actually one of the first things I saw in New York uh, on my second visit ever. Um, Oh, that is really special. It should have been. But (laughs) I I took a red eye on JetBlue from LAX to JFK. Uh, Red eye means overnight. So if you have red eyes, (laughs) flight is over. Uh, And... From JFK, I took the subway to Times Square, which is the most miserable experience if you've ever done it. It's pretty miserable. Uh, But I did that with my luggage uh, to the Walter Kerr Theater where A Little Night Music was playing and then proceeded to wait very early in the morning 
after a blizzard, so snow everywhere. <laughs> and I'm from California, mind you. Um, <laughs> snow everywhere for standing room only tickets, which I got. So I got tickets for me and my friends. Winner, uh, winner, were, chicken dinner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. We were in town for Straw Hat auditions, but oh, obviously yep. Yep. seeing shows as well. So I got these tickets. Uh, ended up meeting with my friends who had either already gotten there or were getting there later that day. I didn't sleep, though. Uh, I did get a chance to put my bags somewhere, but I didn't sleep un- until that night. So I saw a little night music at the evening performance with no sleep, freezing cold. I was pretty miserable. Um, and standing room only because all the, the regular tickets were very expensive. Right. And so I'm there watching this production. And I don't think that I was in any kind of mental state to enjoy it. I was just miserable as a human being. So I walked out and I was like, well, I did that. And everyone asked me, they're like, oh, my God, did you love a little night music? And I'm like, mm, not my not my favorite. And people were just shocked. Like They were like, Bobby, this should be one of your favorite shows. So that's my history with it. And I wanted to give it a chance this week. Um, and and the OB, how do you feel now? I think it's great. And maybe because I'm older. But look, essentially, it's, it's a musical about a bunch of fancy rich people being ridiculous and singing soprano. And like, what's not great about that? <laughs> Like, what's not great about a bunch of fancy rich people just being absolutely crazy and singing soprano? Yeah. Miller's Son has to be one of my favorite songs. So I saw Lane Stritch and Bernadette. Oh, you saw the replacement cast. Okay, I saw the replacement cast. And I was bound and determined. I was like, this is happening. I'm going to see it. I'm going to go buy the very last ticket I could. Like, I got there at 10 a.m. when they were doing the under 30 tickets. (laughs) I was like give me that $10 ticket. And so I I got there. I literally got the last seat in the house and it was in the back corner in the top balcony. And but I was so excited. But I got to sit and I got to see the show. And I was so excited to see Bernadette Peters sing Send in the Clowns. Send in the oh Clowns gosh. is starting. It's starting and then all of a sudden I hear <laughs> and I was like, what? What? What is happening? Was Darth Vader there? No. There was this lovely older gentleman in front of me with an oxygen machine that decided to kick in as she starts singing send in the clowns and it oh, was ruined no. oh no <laughs> so we both had ruined experiences with seeing the show live <laughs> well I, well i'm glad we both can appreciate it after the fact yes, right i i completely appreciate it now okay now of I say also because if you've listened to this podcast, you'll know that Flora the There's Red like Menace. There's like three others that were also there... conceived. No, I'm just exaggerating. Taboo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here we go. Drum we go. roll, please. Drum roll, please. Welcome back to another episode of My Favorite Flop. Today we will be discussing by Jeeves. <laughs> Worcester. It's just going to be all night. All night. We're just going to hear me mispronounce that name and it's okay. Um, Worcester. Worcester. It's, I can't say Worcestershire sauce either, guys. So don't worry about it. I can't say that word either. Great. So it's all good. Um, oh, everything's so silly and whimsical and blah, 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 blah. Right. And then on. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. You all are missing my movements that are happening right now. Um, you really are. <laughs> 
But <laughs> uh, you know who else might be good in that role is. Um... Oh, crap. I just lost his name. He's from Chuck. I just went through this the other day. Steven. <laughs> Zachary Levi. Thank you. No. Okay. Oh, I just need to take it back a second. We're going to pick out with Zachary <laughs> Levi. The other day, I couldn't say Zachary Levi's name, and I kept saying Ryan Reynolds. But kept not the same. Ryan Reynolds. Like so kept, kept going. And then, of course, when Ryan Reynolds was in it, we were like, no, 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 he, he wasn't in it. She was like, no, 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 yeah, the other guy. And then when Ryan did it, no, no, Christina, it, he, he wasn't in it. Don't Superhero movies, they've all done them. Like, they've done it's them. Just, but they're two completely different actors. Oh, that was a fun fact. You're welcome. You know, when I live in audiobooks as my day job all day long, just uh, find a place to slip that in. We're real people with jobs. COVID. Steven's going to punch us. I mean, jellicle songs for all the jellicle cats, which. <laughs> If you can't she, she, see me. <laughs> no, but she's making cat hands. Um, all you listeners. Uh, <laughs> but happens when, you know, your family's half Irish and half a Thailand. So there you a go. A Thailand? That's what happens. <laughs> well, um, when I think of Betty Buckley, who you know I'm obsessed. Again, you are. I am obsessed. And she has a lot of magic as a performer. I don't think of her as a musical comedian. So uh, that is not where my brain goes. I think she's fierce and fantastic in a lot of different genres of musical theater. Yes. But this I don't. Honestly, right before we did our recording today, you know, I sent you this video of Liza in the 80s performing um, I Don't Want to Know. And right. I don't know if it's the most amazing performance of the song, but it is definitely someone who... You know, if she was still performing in Broadway musicals, I would love to see what Liza would do oh, with that. Oh, yeah. She definitely, she, in that video, she definitely captured the magic of the song. Well, I buy her. It's, I mean, Countess Aurelia is really your kooky aunt, right? Yeah. And Liza could be my kooky aunt. I mean, <laughs> I would welcome that I any think day. That you would be on cloud nine if Liza was your kooky aunt. <laughs> Liza, please be my kooky aunt. One of my aunts kind of actually looks like Liza Minnelli. There but you that's go. what that's what happens when your family is half Irish and half Italian. Um, they just kind of all look like each other. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. I Betty Buckley just it to me, that is a strange casting. Mm. Um I, I'm trying to think of other people of that ilk. You know, Betty Buckley also did Hello, Dolly on tour, which I didn't see the tour. Right. I had a hard time seeing in my head how that was going to work. I mean, I know people loved her in it, but right. um, I saw Bet do it. I saw Donna, Donna Murphy. Love Donna Murphy. Donna Murphy is Countess Donna Aurelia. Donna Murphy should do this. I, I mean, mean, she played Cora. I'm a just saying. Not that, but you, Patty Lapone. I mean, Patty Lapone, obviously. Um, no, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. There's a lot of words that I need to understand. Okay. And I would be concerned about not understanding all the, the intention of the lyric. Okay. You can easily oversing this stuff, and I don't. That's the exact opposite of what you want to do. And uh, yeah, so that that's my two cents on that. But 
They did do another major production in 2017, right? With Tyne Daly, who is not who comes to mind for no. this. But I would be fascinated to see how that turned out. Yeah, I mean, she, she was surprising in Gypsy, right? So yeah. uh not that every Mama Rose, because again, Betty Buckley has played Mama Rose as well. Um, yeah. It's not one of those things like, well, if you did this, you could do that. Uh, but uh, I mean, all of these women we've mentioned um, have been praised in their portrayals of it. Tyne Daly yeah. did it multiple places. She did it well, in Utah. And, and then she did it here in L.A., right? She did it I, in L.A. She did it with our friends. With all the people. Vicky she Lewis did and Bets Malone. Vicky Lewis and Bets Malone were in it with her. And, if you two uh, are listening, I love you so much. And you're fabulous. And to w- see you do the tea party with Tyne Daly would kind of blow my mind. <laughs> like amazing. But yeah, Tyne Daly, I, I, like, I just, I need to see it. And I really want to see it. So. Yeah, we've got to find, we've got to find footage somewhere. There must be footage somewhere. Oh we'll have goodness. to find it. Um. Throughout the weeks, really just brings true joy to my life. And I love it so much. I mean, and people in the industry, too, are enjoying it. I mean, I'm going to give a quick shout out here. Willie Falk, Tony nominee for Miss Saigon. He's our biggest fan. Like, he likes all of our posts and he comments all the time. So, Willie, I hope you are listening. Uh, One day, we're going to either need to get you on after the bows or who knows. Maybe we'll throw caution out the window and you'll be on the podcast itself. Because, like number one fan but he's not the only one but I, I just wanted to bring him up because i love seeing on instagram his little like willie falk liked your photo <laughs> willie falk liked your igtv video i don't know it's fun <laughs> it does it's, fun. it's great isn't it mm-hmm. well i'm christina and i'm bobby we didn't <laughs> we're your hosts of we my favorite flops and we're so happy you came back for episode 10 Ooh, uh, which was followed by clue number three. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> it was the picture of turtles. Because why not? Turtles. Turtles. Why not? I love turtles. I brought one home from Missouri in a shoebox on a plane once. Totally a gift against all the rules. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I was like eight people. It's fine. <laughs> all right. Yeah, sure. I mean, we've got Young Rock, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the TV show now. Why not? Ba- and I'm not baby- I'm a little confused as to how exactly that show works, but. Baby Rocky. <laughs> baby Rocky. Who, who could play Baby Rocky? Like, I, mm, I don't know. I guess it depends on like what age we're talking about with Baby Rocky. Like, are we talking about like a teenager? I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway. That baby is, that's Rocky. actually really hard. I actually have no idea who who. That would be. Which will cut it. So. (laughs) Um, That this would end up being an arena tour somewhere. Either. I mean, that makes completely a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think it might do better in a setting like that. You know, know, let's hold that cuisine. I know. What? what? (laughs) Um, Let's try that. Let's try that again. Okay. (laughs) Well, and that's how I felt about Groundhog Day. I really will talk about Groundhog Day another day. (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun pun. Anyways, that's another another episode. But yeah, at the end of the day, Andy Carl was totally the right choice. And I think one of the reasons it probably took so long for the musical itself to get off the ground. 
I just forgot her name. Wild party. Julie that's Arnold. Not, that's not the clip. Oh, it's not? Okay. Cut that, please. Cut that. <laughs> Which production is that from? I thought that was from her understudying Carolee Carmelo. Um, I don't know if Carolee was supposed to do. It's um the 2000, 2003 Actors Fund that was oh. done on Broadway. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's all good. Sorry. Julia Murney was like in middle school in 1990. Right. She's Danny Gerwin's age. It's all good. I'm so sorry. You should. But it's the first time that I think I've ever heard uh, the Florence do that crazy high belt in Nobody's Side, which, you know. Miss Julia Murney. Miss Julia Murney. Oh, which if you missed it, we you can go back to our Twitter and our Instagram to go watch the video of her doing that because it is spectacular. Oh, or you could go to her page because she shared it and it has like something like 60,000 views or something. Um, I can't. I'll, I'll never forget. There was there was a half a moment at in college where I was like, I'm going to sing Pity the Child. And our good old buddy, Kevin Owers, who uh, <laughs> was my voice teacher at the time, entertained it. For two seconds, um, but I don't and then know. If it said was, no. I I I don't know if it was one of those moments where he was silently laughing behind my back. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's not an easy one, and I'm I'm a tenor, one hundred percent. But like, you need vocal pipes of steel, and people really love this production. I mean, there was I remember rumblings after this happened that it would come back to Broadway soon after. You know. Um, well, it, our our executive producer has a great story about how he got last minute tickets to see this concert. Oh, yeah. He was like on the phone with the box office and he was like, did anyone return their tickets? And they were like, yeah, I have five. He's like, I need one. And she was like, OK, that's fine. I'll let it aside for you. And he shows up running to the theater because like he's got like 30 minutes to get there. And he shows up and he's like, hi, I'm Steven. And I reserved a ticket. And she's like, yeah, I think that I was the one who helped you. You're really excited about seeing this. And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he got to sit in the orchestra to watch it, which I think is incredible. I mean, the Royal Albert Hall is ginormous. So like getting to right. be on the floor must have been I just mean, epic. Because you could be in like the fifth balcony, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Like you could be insane. two miles away. <laughs> but yeah, no. And we should probably state who was in this production if you don't know. Josh right. Groban came back. For his role as Anatoly, of course, we just said Adam Pascal. He played Freddie. And mm-hmm. then Idina Menzel played Florence. Right. And uh, Carrie Ellis played Svetlana. And this is where that connection with David Badella comes in. Because oh, okay. he, um, he plays Alexander, who is the Soviet. Basically, he's Anatoly's second slash he is like a, a KGB officer. And so he's the one who screws over Florence, kind of, we think, and like does the deal with the Americans behind everybody's back. Um, and uh, I have to say that he is incredible when it comes to doing the comedic relief in a show and making it a subtle comedic relief, as well right. as singing in a crazy weird accent. Because he I- does it, <laughs> he does French in Aunt Juliet, and then he does Russian in this. <laughs> I think we got it, guys. I think we're chest out. <laughs> we also have another one. Or we could stick with chess. Be like chess. Stay in your own square. 
Okay. I think we killed we killed Jeremy. All right, Christina, do you have any parting words for our listeners today? Be like chess. Stay in your own square. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I don't know, but friends, do not covet thy neighbor's wife. All right? You know, there's actually a Ten Commandments, the musical. No. And really? Val, yeah, Val Kilmer started it. What is as, <laughs> as Moses. The musical. Continue. Uh, anyways, moving on. Fabulously fierce mugs. 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 It's a fun word. All right. It is a fun word. So, um, sure. I certainly prefer the original film and the original adaptation of it than I do any of the revivals. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I am definitely a purist when it comes to this show. I think that it is that simple. I think that it is that simple and beautiful and uh, it opens the door for conversations, you know? Um, I mean, All for the Best is one of my favorite I mean. songs ever in musical theater and they don't really do it in any of the revivals. It's not a priority for them to do, which is shocking to me. Right. I, I also just appreciate how um, Stephen Schwartz plays with musical style and genre for each character and what that means to them. And there's something really beautiful about certain bits that are repetition and what you can do with that repetition. Normally, I'm not a huge fan of just like repeating the same lyric over and over again. Just say day by day. Day by day, but more prepare ye the way of the Lord. There I mean, are no other there are no other lyrics. That is it. But I'm, there when it's performed, right. it is overwhelming like if you if you do it a certain way it can really just lift the audience in it can pull them into this world that you're creating right it is it's a tribe musical just like hair and so you you can kind of do whatever you want with it which i also love you know you can get really kooky with it you can get serious with it you can do a combination of both um and Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're so glad to be back. Thank you so much. Um, like Christina said, make sure to follow us on social. And Christina, do you have any parting words for our guests today? Now that we're all vaccinated, the new normal is going to be next to normal. Look, man. Okay. Bye. A Broadway musical. Okay. Anyways. For best foreign film, I remember in the nineties. You know, for anyone who was under a certain age, there used to be a thing called Blockbuster. Um, and blockbuster <laughs> was before Netflix, where you went and you. Got the movies. I remember when Amelie was a big deal at Blockbuster in, you know, California, you know. Um, yeah. Again, this foreign film, but it was. That's what happened. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap up this section on Amelie. We will be discussing it further later on. But for now, we're going to take a commercial break and we'll see you in a minute. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> Jeremy, please keep that as. um. 
transition music. That that's it. That's boop boop boop. <laughs> Do you like merch? Do you like merch? <laughs> merch, merch, merch. Please, when we record it, Bobby's got to do that. <laughs> Make it sound like a monster truck show. <laughs> Come on down to Crazy Christina's. <laughs> merch. Merch for days. With oh, Robosaurus. <laughs> We're gonna have Jeremy do it, actually. So <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy does it better. She did. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy does it better. <laughs> the thing is, um, we're actually still recording, so we actually have all of that and can use that from Bobby anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Perfect. Oh well, we're oh, about to Lord. go into a train wreck right here. So <laughs> no, this is gonna be great. Um, yeah. So just. Uh, there was a time in my early 20s, and this was like that moment, because you know, I worked for Disney before I decided to go to school for musical theater. So I d- right. decided to try to be an adult before I decided to not be an adult for a second. <laughs> and when I got really depressed, I watched Newsies. Like it was just like to the point where every one of my circles was like, oh, Bobby's having a bad day. I guess he's going to be watching Newsies tonight. Um Look, man, we all need something that is uh, our go-tos when we're not having a good day. And Newsies is not the worst. I mean, and Kenny Ortega, like, come on. Vintage Kenny, Kenny Ortega now, like, if you want to talk about it. I, I mean, yes, like, this is, I don't know, Newsies. Christina, someone just... the other day was like, Britney Spears is vintage. And I was like, how old am I? Like, Christina, I'm not even joking. I... <laughs> Uh, I've been talking about a lot of nice 90s references in my life recently, and I'm realizing that's 30 years ago. That's yeah. <laughs> 30 years ago. When I was a child, 30 years ago was the 60s, okay? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, weird. Uh, Chris, what was so great is that Christopher Catelli, I think, directed and choreographed it, and he had just won his Tony Award for Newsies. Oh, wow. I remember seeing it after Newsies and they added like this whole like Newsies choreography bit where one of the like lambs in the ensemble was doing (laughs) Newsiesography. I think there may have actually been a fake Tony Award in the hand. I don't know. It was like really self-referential. Yeah. I love Um, that he doesn't take himself seriously. No, I mean, it's like you have Newsies winning all the Tonys and then you have Silence. Like immense silence of the lambs. (laughs) Yeah. And it played off Broadway in a theater that's inside an old high school. Like if you've ever seen the movie Fame, uh, that high school where they filmed all of the dance audition sequences. So famously, Debbie Allen walking around with the clipboard, Leroy auditions. That's literally where Silence of the Lambs, the musical played off Broadway for most of its run. And so I remember walking in and I was like, wait, wait why is this all familiar? And then I learned later, I was like, oh my gosh, I was sitting where Debbie Allen was judging everybody. (laughs) I geeked out. Like, why not change? You can change plot points. Like sometimes you do need to make differential choices. What if Susan also wishes to not be big? Like, because she's already regretting dancing with all the time. Which, hashtag, by the way, did you read the story of how that song even came to be? Yeah, it was because they talked to Susan Stroman about how she felt when she was 13. Yeah, they were like, Susan, like, like, uh, like, what do you remember about being a kid? What do you notice about your kid? She's like, I don't know. We were just dancing all the time. And they're like, oh, my gosh, that's it. 
That's like, it. It's so simplistic. But that's what I love about what the team did is they mm-hmm. constantly were talking to kids on this. Um, you know, Patrick Levi's, who played young Josh, uh, was asked about I Want to Know. And they're like, so we really need to know, how do you feel about this song? And he said, that's exactly how I feel. He's like, but I am would be I'm too terrified to ever voice that. And they're like, yeah. we've cracked the code. Like, we've cracked the code. You well, know? and how wonderful is that? I think... <laughs> Again, I don't think it's a bad song. I think that the context that they put the sh- they put it in in right. the show is uncomfortable and inappropriate. Well, when they wrote mean? the song, it was the Act One finale, so maybe it was that kiss. Maybe that's all it was when they initially wrote it. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't need I mean, to be more than that. Come on, guys. But yes, so we, I think we've cracked the code. I think that it's that Susan has to become ha- goes to Zoltar, right, and becomes small. Because she needs to, she she's not happy where, with where she is at 30. Mm-hmm. And what a way to flip this fairy tale. Mm-hmm. We allowed Josh to experience what it was like to be big. We've now given Susan a second chance. How strong is that? I love it. Big two, Susan's turn. It's going to be like Mama Rose. Yes. <laughs> I really wanted them to like have a silly like singing catchphrase with it. And I like that they like stuck with like the score, like they're opening a proper opening to a classical musical. Right. But I really wanted it to be like, Schmigadoon, you know, like something (laughs) stupid like that. That's that's really all I wanted to hear. I saw Kristen Chenoweth saying something that was like trouble. is fine. It's actually really interesting. Yes, it is. It's based on trouble. Um, her role in it is actually really interesting. It's very different than what she usually plays, especially on TV. Okay. It's very buttoned up and dark and very, it's like McGonagall if she were a villain. Okay. I know. I mean, but so, did you watch The Descendants? I mean, Harper's not old enough yet, but. <laughs> I have not watched The Descendants. Okay. Well, one day you will experience another thing with Kristen Chenoweth that is. Of that ilk, and you'll be like, oh, okay, I can see oh, it. Okay. Like, I just was... like, I mean, my most recent memory of her on television is um, American Gods, which is not this. Mm. So there you go. Neil I didn't know she was in that. Here. Oh my gosh. Oh, she plays Easter? Spectacular. It's crazy. She's a okay. crazy person, as okay. usual. As Anyways. Usual. And I think the moral of, although granted, this off Broadway production of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, was successful. Yeah. Um, I think these ensemble shows where the characters are children are very difficult to do unless mm-hmm. they're cast as adults. And that obviously creates its own problems and intricacies. Like, can you imagine doing The Little Rascals on Broadway and finding all of those very strong personalities who are talented enough to do all the shows a week? Look, man, School of Rock managed it. Okay. That Matilda yeah. managed it. I mean, I mean, Matilda has Matilda and then some characters that have more to do. Yeah. But like there are, there's the core of six who have solid scene work, who have song work to do. I mean, I but, totally think it's possible. But Little Rascals, there's no Miss Honey. There's no Dewey. It is just six it is Spanky. It is Alfalfa. It is Darla. It is Froggy. It is Buckwheat. And they have to be the bestest. I know. Ugh. Uh, but it's so fun. 
That's true. Well, and then also- you get to have like soapbox car racing on stage. <sighs> Who needs to write that? We need someone. Fun. All my like- dreams are coming true right now. Alan Menken needs to write that one. Yes. That's what needs to happen. At my favorite flop. We're on all of them. All right. Do you think that uh, it's time for me to give that clue for the next episode? Oh, yeah, Bobby. Give it to him. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the clue for episode 20. That's kind of a big deal. It is uh, a big deal. It's a milestone. Milestone. Uh, it's a headstone. Uh, <laughs> the clue for episode 20 is this. The big love duet in this musical was originally called Vampires in Love. That's right, boys and girls. More vampires, more fun. Hey, Bobby. Right, what? Let's try it again. Hey, hey, Bobby. What do you call a blood-sucking guardian of the galaxy? I don't know. What do you call a blood-sucking guardian of the galaxy? Draxula. But um, hey, You're hey, welcome. sorry to interrupt. Isn't the next? Is, aren't we recording episode eighteen right now? Are we? Oh, we just yeah. <laughs> sorry. Okay. So no, the next episode no, no. is nineteen, right? Yep. It's not okay. our headstone yet. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how we fix it? <laughs> what do you call a blood-sucking guardian of the galaxy? I don't know. What do you call a blood-sucking guardian of the galaxy? Draxula. Is, is that Chris Pratt? Like, I don't understand. No, Drax. But um, <laughs> One day I'll get him to watch the MCU. Okay, bye! Bye! But I will say those Twilight books took the very progressiveness of the world of vampire sexuality and all of that and put it back into the Stone Age because those Twilight books are very 1600s as far as the way they treat relationships and women. But that's another story. Well, okay, so both of these were very serious takes, right? I mean, Lestat is a very serious take on the subject material and Dracula. There are so many ballads. I don't know how you could describe it other than trying to be serious. But do you think a serious musical based on vampires could ever work? You know, like if if both of these hadn't flopped. I mean, I guess that's not the right question. But if someone decided to do Twilight, I mean, could a sincere Twilight musical. Just the idea of a Twilight musical is really cringeworthy to me. But I'm thinking about things like. Percy and the Lightning Thief that kind of walks that line of comedy, but taking it seriously. Okay. And that was that was a YA novel series. So, yeah, I think there is a world where it exists. I think that you would have to walk that line of it not being so serious, like not taking itself so seriously. Right. Well, and, and I even- think there would have to be some levity in it. Well, even with Lightning Thief, as well as it did off Broadway, it gets to Broadway and is the only original score to not be nominated for best original score at the Tony Awards. So yeah. it didn't do well on a Broadway. So I guess that's the difference. 
can vampires work in a smaller setting off Broadway regionally elsewhere where the Broadway money and the eyes and the critics aren't there? I guess that's one question. Or do they not work at all? Because horror musicals in general have had a kind of rough, uh, rough go at it. Right. I think of one of the, I think of two that work and one is very campy and the other one is still very much a comedy. I mean, little shop of horrors is a campy musical comedy. You are laughing and then you're feeling bad about laughing at people dying and being eaten by a plant. Um, (laughs) Sweeney Todd only works because it's a musical comedy. And I have gotten in fights with people because they're like, no, it's a serious musical. I'm like, what is serious about the worst pies in London? What is serious about God, that's good. What is serious about half the show? Because that show can't work. It's why the movie I don't think works at all because yeah I don't like the movie you, but yeah what you've tapped into about Sweeney is how grounded everybody is they are real people those are real human beings they're three dimensional Mrs Lovett is not just the comic foil she's your tragic heroine like right and the way that Sondheim wrote her you go on that journey with her you fall in love with her even though she's a little twisted you fall in love with her right and. Unless you're able to create that kind of finesse, and not everybody is, I don't know how it works. I mean, you also have something like Rocky Horror Picture Show that is full camp. But 100%. You mentioned it before, Reefer Madness. I think that could be considered a Halloween musical, right? Like a horror musical. You look at Rocky Horror, because Rocky Mm -hmm. Horror fascinates me. And people like to write it off as being this. He just, you know, put it together. It's nothing... I think it's a masterpiece of theater because a good production of Rocky Horror, that film that has become literally a film that we're putting in the bunker, Nuclear War. Like it's it's one of the movies that it goes officially now. When Tim Curry sings I'm Going Home at the End with the mascara running down his face and you have Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick and the rest of the cast standing there in full on, you know, transsexual garb, Transsexual being the name of the aliens from whatever, right. or transvestites from transsexual. It is heartbreaking. And you, but you earn that moment because it is such a well crafted piece. People forget there is a big emotional 11 o'clock ballad in Rocky Horror, as crazy and kooky as it is. It is such a well crafted show, but you have to earn. Frankenfurter can't sing that song if you don't earn it. And I don't think either musical we talked about today earns those moments. Pause. Yeah. I hear that. Oh. There's a fire alarm. Yep. Sorry, guys. Hold on. It said fire. It's one of those that's like... It's supposed to tell us if if it's what it is that it's it's recognizing. So. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, sorry. It's um, okay. You two know. were spitting fire, it, it, and the fire yeah. alarm went off. <laughs> that was terrible, Jeremy. That's <laughs> yeah, going in the uh, Christmas edit. <laughs> um, well, I don't even know what we were talking about. Yeah, I don't either. So let's see if we can take it back to a point to pick up the the pace from a certain place. I feel like it would be fascinating. Like, you know, 
this this guy who just wants to write a Broadway musical. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and along the way, like, oh, Platinum Records, like, oh, Celine Dion, big hit on the radio, like, no big deal. Bonnie Tyler, Air Supply, Meatloaf. Yeah, he keeps getting distracted by all of this other stuff. And well, all yeah, he wants is a Broadway musical. Well, you know, we've mentioned, you know he was who Andrew Lloyd Webber originally wanted to write the lyrics to Phantom of the Opera, right? No. Yeah. And he turned it down because he was finishing Bonnie Tyler's album that Holding Out for a Hero was on. So he didn't I get mean, the big fat Broadway, but he got Holding Out for a Hero. So Which ended up in a musical. That's true. It was and, in Footloose. And in Shrek 2, which I think it's better in Shrek 2. It's so good in Shrek 2. <laughs> Jennifer Saunders is amazing. Um, I don't know. I feel like we need to do a Jim Steinman biomusical. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the clue for episode 21 is this. This musical picked up more Tominate. <laughs> Christmas episode! <laughs> I'll let it stop before I... I... I would love to see that conversation happen, assuming that the movie is good you know i don't read a lot which is shocking but one of the few novels that i've devoured was wicked before i saw the show on broadway i heard it was coming i devoured the novel uh, i have read the sequel son of a witch i like the musical a lot i like the pre-broadway tryout a little bit more because it had a lot more fan service to those of us who enjoyed mm -hmm. the novel they got cut and changed by the time it opened on broadway but um when Wicked happened as a musical, you talk about Universal. They produced this show just so they could make this movie. Yep. Disney owned the rights to make it into a made-for-TV thing. So there was this competing in the early days. Disney, I don't think, owns those rights anymore. But yeah. literally, Universal had the rights to make the musical version of the film because they did it. Disney had the rights to make whatever non-musical version oh. on TV. So I we almost would, got we that almost would be got a great mini series. I don't know if Disney still has those rights, but they used to. No, but you know who should make it is like someone like HBO Max. So it's like actually good and dark and I mean, because that novel is dark and dark. disgusting and magical. Uh, but I hope that if the movie is successful and it's good, I would love to see them explore. But the thing is, is I would want Stephen Schwartz to still be involved. Oh, I think heck yeah. And that's I think part of the issue. Well, not with any two Miss Hannigan's Revenge or no. any Warbucks. To bring it back to what we're talking about, you know, these have the same creative team. And mm -hmm. there are pieces that are quite wonderful in these sequels. You know, they had the fortunate, like, ability to keep that create same creative team. When I think you need that. That's the more I think of what I'm trying to say is not only do you have to have a great story to tell that people want to see that's executed well, I think you also need to have the magic of the original team because mm -hmm. just to bring it back into Greece to a show that I hopefully we get to cover on this podcast. Hint, it hint. hint, hint. It has different songwriters than the original Broadway show. And I think because of that, it doesn't have that same magic. I don't, hmm. I don't know that I've ever seen anything of it. I mean, I got it from Blockbuster when I was a kid because of when I discovered Annie, I was like, wait, there's another one. Uh, there's was. more. But I think in this case, as opposed to 
maybe some of the other musical sequels that we'll cover on this podcast, those ones for the most part are based on either original ideas or stories that have a beginning, middle, and end. This original musical, Annie, was constructed based on, you know, at that point, 50 years of legacy. And so Mm -hmm. you've got 50 years of stories and circumstances and all of that to create Annie 1. It's like, you have so many more you could pull from for Annie 2 or Annie 3 or Annie 4. Like, Oh, interesting. Is he going to shave his head? I don't. Oh, please shave your head. I mean, Victor Garber did in 1999. And yeah, I'm I'm excited. All right, Christina. Well, we don't have any clues this week, but do you have any parting words for our listeners? I do. I have a pun. And you snow the drill. It's no joke. It's no laughing matter. Are you ready? What did Adam say on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. But wait, there's mirth. I'm elf tot. Oh. I really need to do that again. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. All right. Well, we don't have a clue this week, but Christina, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Oh, you snow the drill. It's no joke. It's no laughing matter. Are you ready? What did Adam say on the day before Christmas? Uh, what? What did Adam say on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas, Eve. But um. But wait. Psh- oh. There's more. <laughs> Hold on. Let's do this again. I've got this. Okay. It's so long. Okay. Well, like I said, we don't have a clue this week, but Christina, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Oh, you snow the drill. It's no joke. It's no laughing matter. Are you ready? What did Adam say on the day before Christmas? I don't know. What did Adam say on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas, Eve. Oh, but um. But wait, there's mirth. I'm Elf Tot. I know I said, oh, I said mirth. He's supposed to be sleeping. <laughs> I thought he was sleeping. <laughs> okay, let's do it again. Okay. Oh. Okay. Do the badunch. Badunch. But wait. There's Mer. I'm Elf Tot. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> yes, because we do fact check ourselves. Yes, because we do fact check ourselves. This may make it into the Christmas episode. <laughs> <laughs> Dunsky.